So good morning, Eastside family. We want to let our children, ages two through first grade, make their way in that direction to junior worship. The rest of you take your Bibles and turn that are staying in here with me to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of a very important aspect of our worship assembly that is the offering that we bring to God. That is an act of worship. Probably perhaps one of the purest, uh, obvious acts of worship that we bring to God is our offering to Him. We make it possible for you to, to give your offering in four ways. You can mail a check to the church address. You can give an automatic draft through your bank. You can give online through our website. Or if you're here in person, you can, uh, you better hurry because they're taking the money now to go count it, but you can drop it off with Tanya there at the box. And um, here in the middle, I, um, I, I just want to say to those of you who are not here in person, we are so honored and humbled to have you here with us li- on live stream. It just means the world that you would, you would join us today. You're just as much a part of our family. I, I was once sitting across the table from a man at a restaurant and as we were eating lunch he showed me a picture of his new wife and she was an absolutely beautiful knockout from Russia but what was interesting to me is that he had never met her in person true story It's sad when the preacher has to say that, right? (laughs) They met online. And somehow, I don't know if it's possible or not, but they figured it out. They got married online without ever being physically together. And I remember as we were eating lunch, he showed me your picture and says, I cannot believe, Eddie, someone as beautiful as this would, would go for somebody like me. After they got married, his wife let him know that her father had run into some financial troubles. And now it's his father-in-law. How do you not help your father-in-law? And so he began sending money to his father-in-law in in Russia, thousands of dollars. His father-in-law was also involved in, I can't remember the details, some type of Bitcoin operation and... This guy I was talking to at the table volunteered to be the middleman for his father-in-law between this Bitcoin operation run by this Russian man and a lot of elderly people here in the United States helping to transfer money from the elderly people to this man in Russia, which was illegal. Now he's incarcerated. And I'm guessing most of us have been confronted with with scams, right? People posing as though they are someone they aren't for the purpose of tricking us. You know, I don't know about you, maybe I'm doing something wrong with technology, but there is not a week that goes by, hardly a day that goes by that I don't get a text message from someone like this. And I just saved a few of them from what I had received this week this was a text and I get them either through my text messages or whatsapp I'm exposed to the international world hello 
you're one of my contacts, but there are no notes. What is your name? Oh, they want to know my name. Then another one came from someone else. If you don't mind, can we get to know each other? Wow. Here's one. Hi, Brain. Is that you? And I'm thinking they meant to spell it Brian. But when you're talking with me, I can understand. That's an easy mistake. Hi, Brain. Is that you? I haven't been see you online a while. I'm like, if you're going to do this, get it right, all right? Brian. Here's one. Hi, dear. Smiley face. You're going to love it. I just mistakenly typed your number when trying to reach a friend and came across your profile. Hope is not a problem. And then here's a bunch of these. Hello, are you John? Or, excuse me, are you Tom? Are you still working as a photographer? Hello, are you Mr. Garter? I'm Anna. Do you still have an impression? Hi, Kelvin. This is my new number. See you tomorrow at the golf course and talk about cooperation. I don't golf. And the idea, I made, a, I made a mistake of answering one of these maybe a year or two ago by going, oh, that's not me. You have the wrong number. And they replied with, oh, I'm so sorry. You're such a sweet person. It must be destiny that we connected. Yeah, right. Destiny. I'm called Nicola. Isn't that a feminine name? Nicola, I recently took my child on a trip. Would you like to go on a trip together? Long time no see. How are you doing? Or baby, have you got one of those emails? I have a number of them from somebody in Nigeria and they just inherited like $25 million but in order for them to get their inheritance they've got to figure out how to get that money from Nigeria into a bank account here in America and they found out about how wonderful of a generous and a kind person you are and they wanted to ask you could they transfer the money into your account and they're going to give you 10% of $25 million. How much is that? Oh dude, that's a lot of money. All you need to do is give them your bank account information two and a half million bucks or have you received I know this this is one that's going around a lot have you ever gotten an email from your grandchild who's on vacation in England and somebody either stole their wallet or they lost their wallet and now they need money from you to wire to them to get home. And you're totally shocked, number one, because you didn't know your grandchild was on vacation in England. And you're even more shocked because you didn't even know you had a grandchild. <laughs> I had somebody call me up one time. Hey, Grandpa. And I thought, oh, my goodness. What has happened? I have a child I don't know about and a grandchild I don't know about. I had this guy call me up one time. I shouldn't have answered, but I did. It was a couple of years ago. And, um, and so I had won, I don't remember. It was like Publisher's Clearinghouse. He had a really good accent. It wasn't a good old Southern accent that you would trust, right? <laughs> if you would trust that. But he had a really good accent from some other country. And I just won two or three million dollars. And so I thought, I'm going to play with this for a while just to have a little fun. Not going to give me any personal information. So we talked and we talked and we talked for a, a, a good while, 10 or 15 minutes. And then the conversation finally got to the point where not only had, had I won a couple million dollars, but I had won a Corvette. And he was going to let me pick the color of my Corvette. And I just stopped and I said, man, how stupid do you think I am? I like red. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's kind of crazy, but a lot of people fall for these scams. And so we're in this series in the Old Testament book of Joshua, and we're, we're learning life lessons from, from the people of God. They're called the Israelites, and from their leader, Joshua. And here we see in chapter 9 that there's nothing new under the sun. Joshua and the Israelites were scammed. You see, here's what you're going to learn really quickly. Though the Israelites were now in the promised land, it's clear that the promised land was not a problem-free land. And I think we make the mistake, and we've made the mistake because we've grown up singing the songs about how when you die, it's like you're crossing the Jordan River and you're entering into the promised land. But when you read the book of Joshua, I'm sitting there going, I sure hope heaven is not like what I'm reading here. If this is what heaven is like in Canaan, because there is, there is deceit, there is sin, there fighting, there's battles, there's constant struggles. The story in Joshua of God's people in the promised land is not showing us what heaven is going to be like, but it's how to live life on this earth as God's fearless people, that he might use us to carry out his purpose. And so let's walk into this story that I'm entitling The Big Scam in chapter 9 and verse 1, reading in verse 1. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they, on their part, acted with cunning. If you're reading from NIV, it says they resorted to a ruse, is the word that's in NIV. Or we would say the Gibeonites resorted to a scam. Now, I'm going to stop here in the reading, and I'm going to tell you the story, and I'm going to encourage you to read further in depth in this story in your life groups or on your own. What we see up to this point in their battle conquest of land of Canaan, the Israelites have started out with two strong, decisive, very powerful victories against the city of, of the kingdom of the city of Jericho and the city of Ai. And so now all of these surrounding kingdoms and cities have seen that. They've taken note of that. And even though they were enemies against one another, they said, man, if we're going to defeat these people, the Israelites, we're going to have to unite as one. And so that's what they did. But there were these people, the Gibeonites, who had a different plan. And their plan was basically, that goes with the old adage, if you can't beat them, join them. But the problem with joining the Israelites was the Israelites had been given clear instructions by God through Moses, through Joshua. You don't ally all of these kingdoms and nations here in Canaan. You don't buddy up with them. You make no peace agreements with them. No covenants with any of the people in the surrounding nations. People in foreign countries away that aren't going to live in close to you, that's another issue, but not with these people. Or we might say... Take no prisoners. 
But instead, they were commanded to completely wipe them out and drive them out. And that's hard. We'll talk about that later. But God's reasoning for this. You leave them here. And trust me, you enter into closeness with these people of this land of Canaan. And it's going to turn on you. And they're going to influence you away from God into idolatry. And you read the book of Judges. That's exactly what happened. So the Gibeonites realize they're going to wipe us out. They're going to take us. We're going to have to come up with some deceptive plan with a scam. So here's what they did. They got out really old, tattered, worn clothes and put them on. A delegation of them. They got up some really old, tattered sandals and put them on. And on their donkeys that you would use to carry the, the, uh, the goods and supplies you'd travel, they put really old bags on their donkeys. And, and they got out some really old, dry, crusty bread to put in the bags of their donkeys. The whole idea is they're going to go up to the Israelites and pose as though they don't live close by, but there are people who've been traveling from a long distance. I mean, look at our food, look at our bread, look at our clothes, look at our shoes. And so they went up to Joshua and the Israelites and says, we've come from a faraway land. They hadn't really, but they said they were. And man, we, we, we'd like to live here. We'd like to enter into a peace agreement with you. And at first, Joshua and the Israelites are going, oh, I don't know about this. How do we really know that you're telling the truth? And then you keep reading, and the Gibeonites, they took their deception and they strengthened it with flattery. You want to get somebody caught in deception, flatter them. And you read how the, how the Gibeonites said to Joshua, and they're like, oh man, we have heard about your God and how amazing he is. And we have heard about how amazing and incredible you guys are in taking over these cities and kingdoms here in the land of Canaan. And you can just see Joshua and the Israelites going, yeah, yeah, we are amazing. We are pretty incredible. Well, thank you. So the Gibeonites say, see, look, look at our clothes. I mean, we are from far away. And look at, our, look at our shoes and look at our donkeys and look at our food. And so they took some of the food and they go, hmm, that is old and dry and crusty. Now here's a really important verse you need to note in verse 14. So the men, these are the Israelites, took some of the provisions. That's of the Gibeonites. They took some of the provisions. But did not ask counsel from the Lord. So you just got to stop here because if there's something huge, it's that point made in that verse. And see, this is not like the first time they did this. Remember earlier, the only defeat you see of the Israelites and Joshua in the land of Canaan was against Ai. And the reason for that was prior to the battle, there was no consulting God. There was no prayer. There was a sense of self-confidence. We got this and they were defeated. And here they're doing the very same thing again. Instead of seeking God and saying, God, what do you think about this? God, give us some wisdom on this. They trusted. And this is a huge mistake. Proverbs says, don't trust in your your own judgment but they did instead of seeking God's counsel big point there so Joshua said okay we'll enter into I'll take that Corvette <laughs> we'll enter into a, um, a covenant with you 
They swore a covenant of peace with them. And this is the very thing that God had clearly said, whatever you do, don't do that. And they did it. And the reason Joshua did it is because he was deceived. And though this... um, Though this covenant was based upon deception, nevertheless, it is a covenant they swore to these people in the name of the Lord, and therefore, it was a binding covenant. You don't break your word. That's, that's huge. That could be just a whole sermon today. There's a bunch of sermons. There's a series in here if I wanted it to be. Then three days later, I don't know how they did it because it doesn't tell. Somehow the Israelites figured out, you've been scammed. So they went up to the Gibeonites and they said, man, what were you doing? Why were you lying to us? You should have told us. You should have told us who you really were. And the Gibeonites said, oh, the reason we did that is because uh, we want to live. You know, we, we didn't want you to kill us like you've been instructed to do. Or we would read it in verse 24. They said, we have heard that the Lord your God gave you this land and instructed you to destroy all the inhabitants of land. That's who we are. So we feared greatly for our lives. And so they say in this verse, hey man, we're your servants. We humbly surrender and submit ourselves to you. So what's Joshua and the Israelites going to do? They weren't supposed to, but they made a covenant with these people. And realizing they couldn't break their vow, the chapter ends with Joshua and the Israelites deciding to make the Gibeonites servants. They said, all right, we can't can't get you rid of you, so we're going to keep you like we've vowed to, but you're going to have to be servants. And it says in the ESV that I'm reading from, in the congregation of the Lord, in your NIV, I think it says in the house of the Lord, it's basically in the temple, in the tabernacle at that point. They made them cutters of wood and drawers of water, the passage said, to serve in the house of the Lord. And that's where chapter 9 story ends. And this story is an absolute train wreck with mistakes from beginning to end. If you want to learn anything about the example from the people in this story, you learn what not to do. There's five things we learn what not to do. These are sub points, not my main point. You can unpack this on your own or in your life groups. First of all, we learn very obvious lesson, don't lie like the Gibeonites did. There is deception in this story. They were bearing first one of the Ten Commandments. Don't bear false witness. They did. We learned, hey, don't do that. Secondly, we learn, don't be like the Israelites. Instead, be aware of the deceptive schemes of the enemy. We know in Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, deception is the primary MO of the enemy. We need not to be gullible. We need to be aware. That's another sermon. Then thirdly, We learn, don't be like the Israelites. Instead, don't enter into close relationships with unbelievers. That's a sensitive one. But church, Scripture could not be clearer on this. Old Testament and New Testament, you know in the New Testament, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not be deceived. There's a reason why he first says, don't be deceived. This company that's not of God Man, it's going it's, to, it, it, bad company corrupts good character. It's going to influence you. Don't be deceived in thinking it won't when it will. And then fifthly, again, don't be like the Israelites. These are God's people. Instead, 
Before you make a vow, before you make a covenant, you better think twice about that. Don't just hastily run into a vow because God takes the vows we make very seriously. And when you make a promise, he expects you to keep it even though you'd like to get out of it and it's not comfortable and you're thinking, man, I didn't know what I was doing. That's interesting, isn't it? I had a trillion questions that came from that. Don't have time for them. So this is a train wreck. It's just everything was done wrong in this story. But here's what I want to emphasize. Here's what really impresses me more than anything that I want to impress upon you is how this story turns out. So you have to read beyond uh, Joshua chapter 9 to see how the story turns out and see the larger story of the Gibeonites here. So let me explain that to you. So while leaving the nations of Cana, all these tites, the Hittites, the Jebusites and all them, while leaving them in the nation, it was horrible. They turned on the people of God. They turned on the Israelites and turned and they fell into idolatry. Read uh, Judges especially. While that happened, that's not the case with the Gibeonites. It's instead with these people here in chapter 9, just the very opposite thing happened. Now, you got to follow me with this, okay? As the story ends, I told you the Gibeonites were made woodcutters and drawers of water in the house of the Lord. They're, they're servants in the temple. So here's what that means. These pagan unbelievers are serving every day, day after day, as woodcutters providing the wood for the sacrifices that were made to God. They were exposed to that every day. They were exposed to the the ceremonial cleansings that were done in the house of the Lord through the water that they brought to the temple, the water that they had drawn. And evidently, this exposure and involvement to God and his people, it impacted the Gibeonites. Because when you read through the rest of the New Test, Old Testament, there's this word in Hebrew that comes up a lot in the Hebrew language, netanyim. And they are always described as servants in the temple who cut wood and drew water. And they are people who are foreigners. And here in chapter 9, that netanyim verb is used to refer to the Gibeonites. So they're with the Israelites, incorporated into Israel. As a matter of fact, rabbinic writings such as from the Mishnah tell us that the Gibeonites were converted to faith in God, the God of Israel. Now that's not in scripture, that's in rabbinic writings. But then you keep reading and you find out hundreds of years later in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, there's a Gibeonite warrior who's a commander with King David, with his mighty men. And he is a a warrior, Gibeonite warrior, fighting for God, fighting for the people of God. And then you go to Nehemiah chapter 3, and you got to understand the history. There's Gibeonites along with Israelites in, in, where did I say, in Nehemiah chapter 3. That means they were with Israel through this whole story of working their way into exile in Babylon. They were in exile in Babylon for 70 years. They've come back to Israel and now they are side by side with the Israelites helping to rebuild their nation, helping to rebuild the walls 
History shows us that these people were incorporated into the community of Israel. And I'm kind of thinking, that should have never happened because they were liars, they were deceptive, and you're going to let that happen, God? That was kind of like what I was wrestling with. And here's what's interesting. You really got to really pay attention closely. What happened with Rahab? Remember her? Chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 up to destruction of Jericho. There's an incredible parallel between Rahab and the Gibeonites. It's almost an exact story of one individual and a whole group of people. Rahab was someone that came to faith and was brought into Israel. Listen to these similarities. I've showed you to you on the chart there, but I'll read the verses. Rahab said to the two spies that came to her, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Listen, I know he's given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. For we have heard of how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea and we've heard of what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. That's what Rahab said. Listen to what the Gibeonites said. It's almost the same. It's like they barred her words. They said, we've heard a report of him, meaning God, and all that he did in Egypt and of the two kings of the Amorites. Well, Rahab spoke of that. And it was told to your servants that the Lord your God had commanded Moses to give you all the land. That's what Rahab said. So we feared greatly. That's what Rahab said. All of these expressions of faith from Rahab are the exact same things that are reflected in the expressions of these Gibeonite people. And it was also an interesting parallel. Just like Rahab was deceptive, remember, in telling the government officials, I don't know where those two spies are. She was deceptive, so were the Gibeonites. They were both deceptive. But Rahab and the Gideonites, Gibeonites, were both incorporated into the community of Israel. Now that's big for me. And I think you need to hear it too. Because we're getting ready to get into some really hard stuff. Already gotten hard, but it's going to get worse in Joshua. Where we're going to see God instructing his people to take them out. Wipe out those people and drive them out. And we're going to struggle with that. But here we see... With Rahab and the Gibeonites, God not wiping out and driving out, but God saving, sparing, and rescuing all whose hearts would turn and yield to him. And I believe it's a reflection of the hearts of the Gibeonites when they said, we're your servants. We, we humbly surrender ourselves to you. This is what God wanted This is the response God wanted with all of the inhabitants of Canaan. Sadly, most all of them dug their heels in in defiance. Peter writes in his epistle, in the second epistle, he says, you know, this thing about sin and judgment, punishment, man, it's tough. You read second Peter and it's like, oh, read Joshua and you see the punishment for sin. It's like, wow. But Peter goes on to write and he says, But God, that's not what God really, that's not his choice. That's not what he wants. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and faith. That's God's desire more than anything. And that's what happened with Rahab and the Gibeonites, even though it was incredibly unorthodox. That's what God was driving at. So what is our take home from this story? A whole lot. I just want to give you one thing. What happens when you lie? 
and you're deceptive. What happens when you trust in yourself and your own judgment instead of seeking God's wisdom and trusting his will? What happens when you do the exact opposite of what God has called you to do? What happens when you make promises that you should have never made and now you're just in a fix? What happens when you gullibly fall to deception of the enemy and you do absolutely stupid things that are destructive to your life? This story in Joshua 9 shows us God steps in by his sovereign grace and saves us from ourselves, working in us and through us his good purpose to all who would come to him and said, I surrender, and would humble themselves in repentance to God. Church, that's the story of Joshua chapter 9. That's my story, and that's your story. And as the book of Joshua, and I've told you this before, its whole purpose is to point us and to direct us to Jesus. The Joshua chapter 9, this is the gospel story. What happened when the story of your life and mine turned out to be a train wreck filled with mistakes from beginning to end? What did God do then? He came to earth and died for us. Fixing the mess we created by our own sin. Three days later rose from the dead. Drawing us into the community of his people. And giving us hope when our lives were marked only by hopelessness. And giving our lives purpose by calling us to service in his kingdom. That's what happens. That's what God does. That's his desire for you, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, if you will humbly surrender to him. I believe that's what God wants you to hear from this story. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, we thank you for this ancient story that is so incredibly relevant. And while we may look at other people that have fallen for scams and say how gullible they were, we confess that we've all fallen to deceptive schemes of the enemy, made such messes of our lives. But we thank you that you're so patient and merciful, still the same with us. And Father, to those of us who find ourselves this morning identifying in this story with the Israelites, these are people of faith, but at times act contrary to your will and mess up, we pray that this story today will be a reminder of your unbelievable grace and that we will live out of that grace. 
and not repeat the mistakes of the past again and again. But what's even incredible, Father, we thank you for is even when we do that, we thank you that you have made provision through Jesus Christ that we can come to you in open, honest confession and repentance and you bring us in with forgiveness and hope. Father, to those who are here today and they they instead identify with the Gibeonites. They, they have not yet made a commitment to you to be a people of faith and followers of yours. I pray this story will compel them to know that you want them close to you and your people. I pray that this story will compel them to come to you humbly yielding their lives to you in repentance and baptism and finding their place of service in your kingdom. And Father, as we we now offer this prayer and song, I ask that by your Holy Spirit you'd speak to us. Show us individually what this story means for us personally and practically. Show us what you're calling us to. Perhaps for some of us it means to, to come in honest confession. And repentance regarding some things that are going on in our lives that need to change. And certainly, Father, for those who have never yielded their lives to you in baptism, may they hear that call from you. Whatever it may be, we ask now by your Spirit, speak to us, convict us, compel us, and call us as we come to you in prayer. And as we offer this song, I just want to encourage you that if you've come this morning and and, and you're bearing a heavy load, a heavy heart, our shepherds are here to pray with you or just reach out and they'll be looking for you but if, if they don't see you, reach out to someone or to a shepherd and say would you pray with me or if this morning you know that there's someone here who could use your hug and a prayer that's going through a difficult time and as I looked out over the audience this morning over our congregation, there's a lot of hurting people. We certainly need to join together prayers. So let's offer up this song to God in this time in prayer. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.